Happy Tuesday morning, everyone. Welcome to Kafaru Cast. I am riding solo today. My partner in crime, Frank the Tank, is in Idaho with our friends uh, Jordan Cower and Matt Davis. Uh, they're hunting some kind of a mountain beast. They're uh, hunting black bear, actually. Um, from what I've been told, there has been some misses. I won't mention any names. Uh, it starts with M and ends in at, I believe. Uh, may have missed one. I'm not sure. I'm getting uh, some updates on uh, uh, Frank's inreach. He's messaging me. So anyhow, today I wanted to cover more or less kind of a tech tip, do's and don'ts podcast off of a bunch of questions I've been getting, seasons coming, and uh, I don't have time to answer everyone. So I'm going to try to answer them on this podcast so I can just shoot people uh, this way. Um, I'd like to uh, thank Copenhagen, our primary sponsor, uh, if you're going to kill yourself and get lip cancer, do it with Copenhagen and uh, get this thing started off. One uh, one thing that I've been getting a lot lately is, hey, we're you know heading to Colorado. Do uh, we want to backpack in and move camp every day? Do we base camp back and go go in and out? Um, you know, what should we basically do? How how does it work? And there's a lot of variables uh, in that, but I can tell you uh, a true bivy hunt where you're hunting with what's uh, uh, everything with everything in your pack. You know, moving with your entire loadout in your pack every day, it sucks. Um, and I would strongly suggest not to bivy hunt. Um, usually, if we're bivy hunting, um, it's literally by happenstance that we're moving from point A to point B and, and happen to run into animals. In general, you know, the a good way to go about it is, uh, you know, head into one area, camp for a day or two, maybe three until the animals are blown out, uh, head to your next, you know, pick up camp, head to your next area, and then, uh, you know, set up camp, hunt around that area, you know, whatever you're physically able to accomplish in a day. Um, you know, once that area is blown out, move again. You know, in a, in a five to seven day hunt, you might have to move once, maybe twice. Uh, you know, hopefully if you hunt smart and uh, nothing goes too terribly wrong, you haven't blown them out too quickly or obviously you've taken an animal down and you can get it back out, um, you know, which is on a five day hunt, unless it's on the first day, probably going to kill your whole hunt if it's a, you know, big elk and there's only two of you. You know, if you killed it on day three, day four is uh, probably going to be getting it out potentially even day five and day five because you're probably not ready is going to be admiration day because your ass is kicked and you're going to admire what you accomplished on day four and you're going to need to rest so keep those things in mind um as far as uh you know base camp in and out you know it's a lot of it depends on the area is it a draw area is it over the counter you know the over the counter the days of backpacking in and getting away from people are kind of out the window somewhat so to speak because of dumb shits like me frank and many others promoting backpack hunting you know getting away from people you know it, you're not going to do it anymore um so hunting from the base camp you know having a big wall tent going in and out a mile or two or whatever every day is a very um valid option you know it it, it may be better than backpacking in three to five because there may be a ton of people especially if you're emptying the gas in the tank, so to speak, getting in there, if you don't have the physical ability to move because you've kind of, you know, blown your wad getting in there, right, you're, you're, you're kind of screwed. So 
you want to take all those things into consideration. So is this because it's the way I do it? Or, you know, you asking me my opinion, it's my opinion maybe, but it may not be the best opinion or best option for you. If you are not physically able to move out when needed, you may just have to, you know, camp from base camp, maybe, you know, go for an overnighter away from a base camp. Um, You know, meaning, you know, you're standing at a wall tent on day three, you backpack into an area with one night of food, less of a, uh, less pack weight, more mobile. Um, You know, maybe go a little farther than you have been, get into new country, stay a night, and then, you know, the next day, hunt your way back. There's no right or wrong answer. It's really going to be what you're physically able to do, what you're comfortable with, and how familiar are with the area. If you're green and you're backpack hunting, and I mean green, green to backpack hunting and green to the area, um, you may have to move a little bit more. But if you're only hunting five to seven days, you know, you're you're not going to have a lot of, um, I'd say only, that's still a long time. But, you know, you're, I mean, the hope is that you um, are able to pick a fairly decent spot uh, before you get there, even without boots on the ground. And you'll at least get into elk, um, you know, in the first day or two, and you're not searching five days for for elk. So there's no right or wrong answer. Um, Just don't camp in bedding areas. Uh, You know, north-facing timber is a good example. Don't camp in north-facing timber if you can help it. Uh, If you're high country mule deer hunting, please do not ever camp in the basin. Um, Don't camp by the water in the basin. Don't camp in the middle of the basin. Don't get anywhere near the basin with your tent. Stay on the outskirts uh, at a distance. That's why God made spotters and binoculars, so you're not blowing them out. Um, you know, just just uh, you know, hunt smart. Be be you know as aware of be animal behavior when it comes to setting up campsites as you possibly can be. So now now the next thing is is campsites. Um, you know, where do we put our tent once we get in? Once we've backpacked in? Well, that is such a broad. Um, question that it's probably better to figure out where you shouldn't put your tent. Um, you know, as far as just flat out locations, if you're, you know, just meaning if you're using a floorless or floored shelter or whatever, try to get into an area out of the wind, whether that be a depression, whether that be in a patch of timber, you know, if you're up high and some bristle comb that's kind of sheltering you from the wind, um, you know, it, obviously all that depends, but let's say up high, yeah, try to camp in, um, uh, an area that has good uh, uh, wind blocking abilities and also cover and uh, concealment. So not just people can't see your tent. Usually people, I kind of like people to see it so maybe they'll stay away. But so animals can't see you or your tent in the morning or what what have you. Um, the next thing, you know, make sure you're on a bit of a bench. You know, don't camp in a depression. Even on a floored shelter, those things can leak. Make sure you're on some type of a bench or a flat spot, uh, no matter what, just so, you know, you're not getting water surrounding you if it rains like crazy, especially if you're using a floored, you know, shelter. Stay as cognizant of the wind direction as you can when you're setting up, especially above tree line. Um, so you're setting your shelter up accordingly. You don't want to set it up, if at all possible, where, you know, you're taking all of the brunt of the wind on the, you know, on the side of your shelter. Um, you know, I normally try to put the tail end of my shelter and, you know, the, with the wind blowing into the back end of my shelter, um, you know, so I'm not taking all of that wind on the side or the face of my, my shelter, especially if it's windy, you know, and the wind's blowing into the face or into the front of my shelter. When I open it, 
especially if it's on a front uh, like a, a, a Hilleberg, like a Onion GT or a, a Kafaru Super Tarp with an Annex, it's going to be blowing right into you. So you don't want to do that. So take all those things into consideration when at all possible. Um, how far? How far should we go in? Um, you know, may not. maybe you don't want to go very far at all. Um, there's nothing saying that uh, the farther you go, the better the hunting will be. I would say the first thing that you want to assess is your physical ability. Are you able to go uh, three miles in and get an animal back out? You know, how many people do you have with you? Are they going to crap out on you? There's a lot of variables in there, but two and a half miles solo is a rough go for an elk um, to get it out. I'm not saying there's plenty of people that can go farther and get an elk out, but as a rule of thumb, especially for greenie, um, you know, you don't want to, uh, you know, go balls deep, so to speak and bite off more than you could chew and then waste, um, you know, lose your animal. You lose meat off the animal, you know, and you're obviously going to fuck up your feet and your body. So two and a half miles solo, I would say is the outer limits for most, um, as an average, uh, you can go a bit farther than that with two guys, but that doesn't necessarily mean there's going to be animals there. So, Again, you're going to have to assess the situation. If you have not been able to get boots on the ground, you're going to have to do that from a map, from Google Earth, whatever things you can steal from other people offline. Um, But hunt your way in. Don't pass up a lot of elk to get to elk, right? That happens all the time. Don't pass up good hunting areas to go to a good hunting area. Don't pass up good hunting areas to go to a bad hunting area. And that happens all the time. If you're hitting elk sign a half mile from camp, pop squat right there and start hunting. There's no need to go any further for the greater glory of manliness and pride. Hunt where the animals are. Don't go too, too far in. And, and I'm guilty of that in the younger days. Um, you know, now I generally have a pretty good, uh, you know, plan, so to speak. So, um, so the uh, next thing, uh, condensation, and I'm going all over the across the board here. I'm bouncing all over the place, but we were talking about campsites. I think people have um, don't under a lot of people, and not everyone. Some people don't understand condensation and how it works. If uh, if the ground is wet, I'm going to be very general here, and you set up, and it doesn't matter whose tarp it is, ours or anyone else's, just because it has a Kafaro logo doesn't mean it has some kind of kryptonite coating on it to keep condensation away. If the ground is wet and you totally enclose the shelter or a teepee, you're screwed. You're going to get condensation because it's coming from the ground up. Um, you know, a lot of times people will think their shelter will leak, is leaking. Um, you know, like, hey, I set, you know, we walked in in the rain, set it up. The rain was, wasn't bad at all, but we had water uh, pooling up on the inner, or inner side of the, the floorless shelter. More than most likely, that's condensation, and it comes from the ground up. If you put Tyvek on the ground, Tyvek even helps. That's where a floored shelter, um, you're not going to get as much condensation as far as from the ground up. Now, you can still get condensation. So you need to have good airflow, if at all possible, ventilation when you can, um, to combat that. If you can get a liner in your floorless shelter, that helps on some, uh, uh, for so- on some occasions or s- for some instances. But like me, I don't run a liner very often. I've gotten used to condensation. I ventilate it pretty good when I can. Um, but if you're going to run and save the weight of a floorless shelter, um, 
you know what I mean as far as like in com- in comparison to to a three season or four season shelter. If you're going to save that weight, you probably you know going to have to get used to a little bit of condensation. It's just just how it is. But condensation, if the ground is wet, you're going to get it. If the ground is wet and it's raining and you're in there wet yourself and you're breathing hard. It's going to be bad, you know, wind will blow and it'll be like it's raining inside, slapping off the tent. So try to, one, get a Tyvek ground cloth, uh, at least to cover up your your sleeping system, obviously. But the more of the ground you cover up, you know, the better when it comes to that aspect of it. Uh, Two, the the ventilation. Try and ventilate it as much as you possibly can. Uh, And then three... If you're going to be using like a down bag or or you're going to leave your stuff in your shelter throughout the course of the day, make sure and protect because on my end, I've just gotten used to condensation. So when I leave for the day, I make sure that my um, uh, sleeping bag is not just exposed in case it does get a lot of rain or a lot of condensation. The wind blows that I'm just not getting all my gear sprayed on. So keep that in mind, whether it's got to be put in dry sacks or be protected in some some way. Uh, you know, keep that in mind. So the next question, leave uh, stuff. How much do I leave at the truck? You know, people are worried about um, uh, um, a theft, right? Uh, There's one thing people uh, have been worried about uh, or asking me about. Should I leave an extra bow in the truck? Should I leave, uh, you know, whatever food? Okay, so as far as what you leave in the truck, um, Never leave a bow, a compound bow specifically, uh, or a strong recurve or a long bow in the truck when you backpack in in hot weather. More than most likely, it'll delaminate the limbs and blow up, and you don't want that. And you don't really want to leave your window cracked for seven days to let ventilation through to cool the truck off. So... One thing to keep in mind, if you bring a backup bow and you do that, there's a good chance the limbs will delaminate from the truck getting so hot if the weather's hot. Same thing with a recurve or longbow. That's bad. All right. Um, What do I leave in the truck personally? I don't leave a whole lot because there's so many assholes that steal shit. I usually have extra food in the truck. I'll usually have Luco tape, you know, whatever the normal, like, you know, I have some painkillers. I'm going to have some Gatorade type, you know, usually I'll... Actually, don't use Gatorade anymore. I have like adult Pedialyte um, just for uh, the drive home to help, um, you know, rehydrate. Uh, like I said, food, and that's not just for additional food if I have to stay longer. I'll usually have two to three extra days of food um, pre-packed, meaning uh, for backpacking in case I want to stay longer, hike out and grab it. Uh, the other thing, too, is like let's say something gets into your camp, something eats your food, a bear gets it, whatever. You know, you don't want to be totally screwed. Just run down to the truck, grab two or three days of food. But I also grab my my happy food. Um, I'm generally going to have food in there uh, just to, to scarf on on the way home. You know, I can't leave a Subway sandwich in the truck because uh, it'll go bad. But I'm going to leave um, some of my most favorite food. A lot of time, I, I'm a big fan of kombucha. I'll leave a couple of those in a cooler in there, things like that. Um, sometimes, and not very often... You know, it's not a horrible idea to have a portable bow press and some backup strings if you're coming from a long ways away. Um, but if you don't know how to use a portable bow press, if you don't know how to tune a bow, um, I wouldn't bring that shit. Doesn't do any good. Go down to the local archery range, whatever's close. If it's four hours away, you're going to have to shoot again anyway to get recited in if you don't have 
the skill set to do to uh, replace a string cable, whatever you've got to do, and then retune it on the side of the road or whatever. Uh, that's the next thing. I always have a Reinhardt 18 and one uh, triangle little dealy whopper, whatever the hell Reinhardt calls that thing. I always have one of those in the truck. Um, and that's just we fling a few. You know, I leave a shitty one in there because people steal so much stuff. So I, we take the shot out one. But I can fling some arrows, um, you know, from the trailhead, from the side of the road. If I have some kind of a potential malfunction, something super screwy where I have to pack out, I at least have some stuff either in my pack or in the truck to work on my bow, compound or recurve, and get it retuned in. But I need that target uh, to do that. So having a tr- uh, tar- target in the truck is not a horrible idea. Uh, the bow press, again, if you know how to use it and you know how to tune your bow, definitely bring a portable bow press. You know, if you don't want to use it, why bring it? Leave it at home. All right. The next thing, you want to uh, make sure and pack accordingly. I'm getting a lot of gear lists. And while if the zombies come, some of these lists, you would survive probably longer than me. Uh, if you had to carry that shit, you're going to die. Because um, even if zombies are slow, you will be slower and I will outrun you. So make sure and pack accordingly. You don't... Um, you know, you don't want to pack the kitchen sink and the cook too. You know, make sure what the weather's going to be doing, the altitude you're hunting at, where you're hunting, all of those different things, time of year, and then pack accordingly. Um, you know, Colorado doesn't generally rain a ton, but some years it rains a bunch, but the forecast is usually half-ass okay. Um, you know, but if it's not super cold, don't bring a lot of layers. Don't bring, you know, anything too, too heavy. Um, you know, if it's not, uh, if you're not beating the brush, don't bring the most durable rain gear known to man if you're just sitting through a squall or whatever. You know, if you're not, you know, going through tag alders all the time, you don't need crazy durable rain gear. Um, you know, you might want to cut down and wait a little bit if you're going to be at high altitude uh, like Colorado, uh, you know, sucking wind and you're going a long ways in. You might be a little more Spartan than you would be if you were a mile in uh, at lower elevation where, hell, I'll pack anything in that far. So, you know, pack accordingly to what you're doing, um, and then don't overpack. Definitely don't overdo it on socks and underwear. I bring one extra set of socks and usually one extra set of underwear. And, uh, you know, I'll rinse those out if, if, uh, if I can and hang them up to dry, um, you know, in downtime and then swap them out, rotate them. So, you know, you don't need a lot of that stuff. Um, that's the next question is clothing, which, you know, leaving brands out, right. Just, just straight up, um, you know, and I will mention a few options or whatever, but um, you don't need a whole lot. I wear in the pants that um, I'm hunting in, and that is all I bring. So I have one set of pants, and I, I usually hike in in those. Some guys will hike in in shorts and put those on, but I generally hike, well, generally, I always hike in in the pants I'm going to be hunting on, and that's all I bring. Now, I do bring, kind of screwed that up. I'm going to back go back a little bit as far as what's left in the truck. Um Make sure you always have a change of civilian clothes and money. Um, I would keep bring the money with you when you backpack in. And I'm sorry, I screwed this up. I should have mentioned it a bit ago. The civilian clothing thing is if you have to stay the night, you don't want to stink and be in camo, right? You want to be clean. If you need to get a chance to take a shower, go down into town, have a set of civvies that are, um, you know, comfortable for you, a change of shoes in there. And then the money is for multiple different reasons, um, you know, I have had to bribe my way to get a ride before. Money helps with bribery, right? Um, you're already looking like, um, you know, you're in ready to raid Al-Qaeda, right? You're all camoed up, smell like shit. 
Uh, you might need to pay someone off to give you a ride back to the truck. That's one. If you get stuck on the way in and someone has to pull you out, they probably aren't going to ask you for money, but it certainly is not going to hurt to give them some. Um, you know, it's another reason. Uh, once you get out, you know, um, as far as um, if you get back on the way in or the way out, as far as trailhead, rough roads, popping tires, all that kind of shit, it's always good to have money on board to get help from people. I mean, most people are going to help you without that, but, you know, it is what it is. Um, so anyway, fast forward back to clothing. Um, wear the pants in. That's all I bring. Usually have some kind of a sleeveless T-shirt. I got a Lucky Rock Slide shirt. It it's synthetic. It smells like shit. I know it does. I wash it all the time. All I, I don't know what to tell you, but I always wear one of those. Um, and that's just a sleeveless like muscle shirt. Uh, go beast mode. Uh, then I wear a long, like generally a long sleeve, really like high micron count, super thin merino base layer. Um, usually it's a zip neck just to blow out the heat. Um, sometimes it'll be a crew, uh, but that's super lightweight. Uh, normally over that, I may have another layer like that. That's a little thicker, but I definitely am going to have a fleece layer with a hood over that. So right now, shit canning the t-shirt, right? I'm at two layers, one super thin Merino, and then a fleece layer over that guaranteed with the hood. The um, I'm a big fan of the new uh, blend from uh, First Light. So let's say that's your base layer. It's merino and nylon. So you get a lot of the best of both worlds. Uh, the next layer being that fleece layer, um, I'll list a few options off. The Swazi, uh, they're out of New Zealand. Theirs is probably the most durable. Well, I say probably. Theirs is the most durable, and that's called the hood. Uh, and that is a great intermediate layer. Uh, for Sitka, uh, you're looking at like the core heavyweight crew hoodie or maybe the Fanatic hoodie. One of those two is a great option. Uh, you know, this is pretty Spartan list, and that's for your, your midweight fleece. Uh, the I think it's called the Kalamath hoodie. I call it the Halstead hoodie from First Light is a great option. Um, you know, and these are, again, fleece layers. Uh, Arcteryx makes one called the Naga hoodie, which is an amazing hoodie. Um, you know, any, any of those will work something like that. I don't really bring a soft shell jacket. Uh, so I, you know, that's kind of out the window, but the, again, this is my Spartan list. So we've got the thin base layer, the fleece base layer. Now I go to a puffy jacket, an insulating jacket. I'm generally going to usually bring the Kafaru Lost Park Parka, you know, the Kelvin Active possibly or Kelvin Light. My puffy layers are pretty, I don't use a whole lot of different ones. I've got one from Arcteryx. I got a couple from First Light. Um, the uh, The new First Light Down hoodie is extremely warm and a little bit too much. Uh, the Altitude Puffy Jacket from um, Cryptic, their new down, uh, you know, insulating layer or a puffy layer is really good. But just make sure you have a uh, an insulating or puffy jacket that, um, that, you know, to bring with you. Uh, you know, a lot of times I'll bring just a Kafaru one because it's so freaking beefy and durable and serves a, a little bit more purposes because of that. And it blocks the rain a little bit better and it's synthetic. But when I'm going super lightweight, I'll bring a down hoodie. Um, anyway, there's a bunch of different options for that. And then after that, uh, I say hoodie, down um, puffy jacket. Um, and then after that, I'll, I'll, you know, just a rain jacket and I throw that on. That's my last layer and then rain pants and 
you know, I don't go too crazy. That's it. Um, you know, and then you can add or subtract to that depending upon how the weather is. You know, if the weather's super cold, I may have a couple base layers, one thin, one thicker, you know, a little bit more uh, insulating or lofty puffy jacket, things like that. Um, okay, so beanie hat, always have some kind of a beanie hat with you for clothing. I sleep in one. I usually don't wear the hood of my sleeping bag, so I generally am sleeping in a stocking cap unless it's super warm. Uh, make sure and wear merino when you can, whether it be your underwear, your base layer, your anything touching your skin. Um, I try to wear merino, your socks specifically. Um, uh, let's see, the, the I think it's called Farm Defeat makes an, a pretty amazing sock. Uh, darn tough, fits. I'm not a huge fan of smart wool in the sock area. I haven't had the best of luck, but, uh, you know, they make a great sock too. Uh, I usually don't wear long johns on a backpack hunt. Um, I usually have a baseball cap, you know, that's important. Obviously, try and keep the sun off you. Yeah, I may wear a boonie hat just because I keep getting fried and I don't want to get skin cancer. So, uh, but definitely always have a stocking cap and at the minimum, a wind blocking set of gloves isn't a horrible, horrible idea, especially when you're up high. Pack size is a question we get all the time. What size of pack do I need? And you've got so many different, uh, opinions on this, uh, you know, and I would say if if you're going to err to the smaller side of the pack things, you know, if if you know what you're doing, you're already you're not going to be answering the asking the question. So if you're asking the question, uh, you might not want to go to the smaller side of things. You might want to err to a little bit bigger side of things when it comes to bag size. And then as you learn and get the hang of things, you might go down a little bit. Um, in my experience, most guys, as they learn, go up more than down in size. But you always want to have some extra room. Um, I mean, because uh, you're out there to kill something. That's going to take up space in your pack. If your pack is so freaking stuffed on the way in that you can't fit anything else in there, that's a problem. You know, they have, you know, there is meat shelves now uh, that you can run it that way as well. Uh, sometimes a meat shelf isn't enough. You know, a lot of that depends on how much weight you can carry. But if you're staying five days, I would cater uh, above 5,000 cubic inches more than I would below. Um you know, if you're staying one to two nights, three to 5,000 is fine. You know, you're going to be, you know, but a lot of guys can do several days with three to 4,000 cubic inches, we're talking six, seven, eight days or more. But that's more of a pro level type of um, uh, size of a pack for that packing list. So five days, 5,000, you get above seven days, you're looking at 7,000 plus, same thing with 10 days. Uh, there's no exact, you know, rule of thumb for this, but you can get close. It depends on how big your gear is. If you got a giant sleeping bag, are you taking camera gear in? Do you eat like a horse or do you eat like a bird? Uh, do you know what you're doing? Can you go a little bit more Spartan than someone else? All of those things come into consideration when you're doing this. You know, do you, do you like to strap shit on the outside of your pack or do you put everything on the inside? I put everything on the inside. So I've had guys tell me, I can't believe, you know, you need 6,000 cubic inches for five days. But they have, uh, well, one, they'll have their shelter strapped to the outside. You know, that, that frees up, I don't know, anywhere somewhere around 1,000 cubic inches of room if it's a tent or, or, or close anyway. Um, there's a lot of variables there. But I'd say err to the side of caution, um, you know, and go bigger when you don't know. Um, 
you know, and, and again, you can use the meat shelf thing, but again, even that's a little bit more, you know, you don't want to screw around with that, whether you're using it for meat or gear and, and know what you're doing a little bit um, when you start talking about that. Uh, the next question I get uh, a ton of, how many arrows to bring? I personally bring a full reload. I go in with six. I'm bringing at least six extras. Now, I go on longer trips. We usually have multiple tags, and I like to shoot all the time. So the chance of me breaking arrows are pretty good. If I'm stump shooting when I'm back, they're supposed to shoot the recurve, but I always did the same thing with the compound as well. But if it's grouse season, if it's squirrel season, if you can shoot marmots, if you just get bored— you may be flinging some arrows and you know the more arrows you shoot the more chance you have of breaking them you're going to need replacement so I, i'm a firm believer on a on a backpack on especially anything over three days or five somewhere in there you know br- bring a full reload at least three extras for sure and always bring some small game heads whether it be a judo tip um, or something some kind of a small game head i'll always bring some of those uh, as far as repair kits go, do I pack an archery repair kit into the field? I do, but with a compound, it doesn't uh, include a bow press. Looks about the same for me for compound or traditional. You know, I have extra servings, some super glue, um, an extra peep sight, some field tips, pretty much anything I need to repair my bow. I, I have it with me. I usually carry a little bit of string wax with me. Always have a backup release, a backup tab, you know, things like that. It's not going to weigh very much, and, and uh, you know, if you're a better uh, bow smith than others, you can get away with probably less. In some cases, you might have more because you are a bow smith and you do know what to work on. If you have all this crap and you don't know how to use it, don't bring it. Uh, bring super glue, I guess, because if you don't know how to back serve, you know, fix the servings, tune your bow, anything like that, bringing all that stuff is you're just packing extra weight. All right, next up, footwear. The footwear thing is, um, it's uh, very subjective. Some guys like stiff boots. Some guys like, uh, you know, really flexible boots. I would say to simplify things, wear what you feel comfortable with and what's broken in. You know, you want to make sure they're broken in. But who am I to tell you to wear a stiff boot if you like flexible ones? Um, who Who is someone else to tell you to wear a flexible boot if you like stiff ones? Wear what you're comfortable with. I've never had a problem, uh, you know, killing anything myself with stiff uh, boots that would be, you know, technically louder than a flexible boot. Um, I just plan accordingly that I know my boots might be a little bit louder and I'll pop them off if I need to. How long can you leave meat in the backcountry after you've taken the animal? That is totally dependent upon where you're at. But let's just say... You're mountain hunting. You're not in Arizona. You're not in the heat. You know, you're in average September temperatures that can range anywhere all the way up to 80 degrees. But there's always going to be these, I've gotten made fun of this, but ecothermal corridors. There's going to be corridors that are cooler than others. You've got shade. You've got creeks. It can last a long time. You'd be surprised, really surprised. The one thing that you want to make sure and do once you've got the animal on the ground and you're starting to break it up is as you're putting the meat in the game bag make sure and rotate that meat around inside the game bag meaning get the meat on the inside in the middle to the outside rotate it you know every few hours till all the meat is cooled you want to get it cooled and drained um I like I try to let it hang as long as I possibly can it tastes better so if you kill um give a hypothetical 
we are four miles in. Um, we've got two elk tags, and we get an elk on the ground. Normally, we're going to get it back by base camp um, after we've got it broken down. We don't spend a lot of time letting the meat cool. I'll generally, if the bugs aren't too bad, set it on logs and rocks as I'm taking it apart, set it on Tyvek, whatever I've got, um, and then let it, that cool as much as I can, which probably isn't going to be enough. And then I'll um, you know, load it up uh, into the pack, get it back to camp, and when I get it back to camp, I'm going to find the coolest, shadiest spot I can around camp, and I'm going to hang it up in the game bags. I use uh, tag bags and let it drain. And every now and then, I'm going to drop that down, you know, every few hours and rotate that meat around until it's all drained and it's all cooled. If I'm going to stay multiple days, once it's drained and once it's cooled, I carry these big 55-liter dry sacks. Um, This is another one that people argue about. I'll carry non-scented contractor bags. And I will put the game bag inside that contractor bag. I have put it in just in the contractor bag. And I'm going to drop it into a creek as my backcountry refrigerator. I've left it in there for five to seven days. The meat tastes great. It's aged. Just make sure it's cooled when you drop it in there. Um, you know, it will help cool it down, but the meat will just taste better if it's drained. So make sure and drain it as long as you can before you do that. So you can, in good situations with a creek, with snow, with things like that, you five days is not a problem at all. Seven days isn't a problem. It's no different than if you're leaving it back home for five to seven days and then the fridge. I mean, that water is cool, so you're going to be fine. Don't panic over it. Just make smart decisions. Make sure it stays cool. Make sure it stays in the shade. Um, You know, and then get it into a creek or a snowbank after it's all cooled and drained and you'll be fine. Good to go. You know, as far as a kill kit goes, we get asked about that. I bring the applicable game bags I need for the amount of animals we're going to take. I bring a Taito knife, a bunch of extra blades. I generally bring 50 foot of like 2.3 millimeter guy line. That's for hanging up the meat, uh, things like that. Sometimes I need it for strapping the extra stuff down to the pack. Um, So something to think about. I guess the last thing I'll cover is uh, sat phones and and inreaches, you know, communication devices. Um, We've been using the new, well, not the new small inreach, but the newer inreach system quite a bit. Um, I highly suggest that, but I would suggest bringing something, whether it be an inReach, you rent a sat phone, whatever, um, something that also has an SOS beacon in case someone gets injured. But definitely bring that. Make sure you get the uh, app for your cell phone if you get like the inReach or an Iridium Go uh, for the inReach. Um, it's called EarthMate. I'm looking at it now. The EarthMate app. Make sure you get that so you can text, use your phone to text through that and it's kind of like a hotspot I guess you could say and I use talk to text so I don't have to type everything out it sucks texting on the inReach by itself or a sat phone because you you know it's a b c d you gotta go through each one and with a phone it's a lot quicker but I highly suggest bringing some kind of a communication device um all right, I'm going to wrap this up because I'm hopping on a couple other podcasts here shortly. But if you guys have more questions, definitely send them in. We may not answer them all. We will if we have time, but we'll definitely do a podcast on the questions you have if they're noteworthy and, and worth responding to uh, for everybody to learn from. So, again, I appreciate everybody listening in. We've had a huge amount of support uh, with KafaruCast. Frank and I are very thankful um, for that support and uh, appreciate you guys tuning in.